Welcome to Mentoring Moments. Mentoring Moments is a sub-series of the E-Commerce Edge podcast. It is composed of clips taken from Jason's one-to-one and group mentorship sessions. Hello, everybody. How are you doing today? This is going to be a slightly different mentoring moments episode style for you today. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to jump on to some of the questions that I see being asked kind of pretty routinely in places like Reddit and Quora and LinkedIn, et cetera. And so I'll just go through a few of the questions that I think are going to be pretty relevant and hopefully will be helpful to a wider audience than just the person who asked that question on whatever form it was asked on. But I try to I try to jump into as many of these places as I can. I try to spend you know a bit of time every day in Reddit, a bit of time every day in Quora, a bit of time every day in LinkedIn. And I try to jump into conversations where I think I can lend a bit of experience and hopefully some help when people ask questions in relation to e-commerce, digital, digital retail, omnichannel, and the like. So let's uh, jump straight into some of these questions. Uh, so the first question here is, is it unrealistic to want to get my first e-commerce business running this summer at 17 years old? I'm 17 years old and recently found out about e-commerce and it really fascinated me. I've always had a drive to make money by trying different things and seeing the stories on here really interest me. I started thinking throughout my days about potential things I would sell in my hypothetical business. If I got it right, it is supposed to be in demand, stay on demand for the foreseeable future and have a low competition question mark. I'm thinking about setting up a shop with Shopify, but the problem is that I have no clue what to do after that. I know the basis, which is finding uh, supplies from a place like Alibaba and then reselling on the shop by striking some sort of deal with the supplier. But this sounds like a very complicated process. Even though I really want to be able to set up shop this summer and get my first sale, maybe it is too unrealistic. Whether it is getting my first sale in such a short period of time or even starting a business when I'm 17, what are your thoughts? So first of all, you know, hey, Awesome thinking, you know, at 17 years old, I certainly wasn't, you know, e-commerce was not really that big of a thing yet when I was 17. And now that it is, it's definitely a way for people to be able to, you know, make money. It's a, it's a way for people to get up, get started with generally pretty small amounts of capital and prove out a business theory, etc. Now, the challenge with setting up your own Shopify store and the way that this person has sort of contextualized this question, you know, Alibaba, set up a Shopify store, integrate the two, blah, blah, blah. It leads me to believe that they're thinking about a drop shipping model. And while that can work for some people, that play is sort of played out. You know, it, there's a very low barrier to entry to a drop shipping model, which is basically you take an order, you forward the order onto the supplier, and the supplier ships the shipment directly to the customer, and you keep the difference between what you pay and what you sell for. Now, that is very low friction. It's very easy to get up, set, get set up and running. You don't have to hold any inventory. You don't have to spend any money on any inventory. You basically get a feed from the supplier. You list their products on your website and you go selling. Now, the problem is it's very difficult to build any kind of a moat with this business model. It's very difficult to differentiate yourself from all the other drop shippers out there. There's really not a lot of white space left in the drop shipping game. And that's why you see so many drop shipping stores fail. I mean, if I had a dollar for every single time somebody set up a drop shipping store and then put a thread on Reddit that they aren't making any sales despite spending a ton of money on Facebook and Meta and 
YouTube and LinkedIn, et cetera. If I had a dollar for every time somebody said that, I'd be a very rich man right now. And nine times out of 10, when they say, hey, can you go and critique my website? You go and have a look at the website. It's got very low trust. It looks like a drop shipping site. They've got, you know, five, you know, between five and maybe 25 products on the entire website. They've got an out of the box theme on Shopify. The about us page basically says nothing at all. It's got no proof points. Uh, you know, you go to the shipping information page and it says, you know, anywhere from two to six weeks, you can expect to, to receive your product. It's got no contact details, doesn't tell you where the merchant is located, doesn't give an address, doesn't give a phone number, doesn't give an email address. Maybe it's got a contact form and that's about it. So basically everything about those sites. And like I said, you know, you, you, you can see posts every single day on Reddit, Quora, LinkedIn, you know, basically everywhere on the internet, you can see people talking about the fact that they are not succeeding with a drop shipping model because they have taken the very low friction, low barrier to entry way to try to get into e-commerce. And so they're competing with thousands and tens of thousands of other sites out there doing something very similar with the same product. So they've got no differentiation. They've got no trust. They've got no brand. They've got no nothing. And so they're just trying to drive paid and performance traffic to their website. And that's what it sounds like this 17-year-old uh, person wants to do. And so my advice is to be very, very careful with this model because there is no moat and there's there's so much competition out there in almost every v a vertical, every single market, every single category, there's a ton of online competition. So my advice to somebody like this isn't to shoot them down. My advice isn't to tell them, don't give it a go. My advice isn't, you know, oh, you're stupid for even thinking you could do this. My advice would be to work with an existing e-commerce store, store owner to start to learn the ropes. If you have already got an interest in this sort of thing, if you've already got this inkling that, hey, maybe I like, would like to do this one day, then my, my idea always is get as close to someone that is already successful at doing what you want to do as you can. You know, at 17 years old, I'm guessing you're probably still in high school, maybe about ready to graduate. And so, you know, you get a part-time job working, you know, potentially even online, you know, as a remote job working with one of these online store owners, find an online store that you like. You know, you probably shop online quite a bit yourself and find one that you like in an area, in a vertical that you like, approach them, see if they've got any, you know, online merchandising jobs, even an internship, ask them if they do any internships where you can, you know, where it's not going to cost them a fortune to bring you on board. You can make a little bit of money, but more importantly, you are starting to understand the ropes of what it takes to run one of these online businesses. And you could effectively become like the, the website administrator if they're a relatively small business. Maybe you can work on their merchandising team. Maybe you can work on you know uploading content to the website or creating content for the website or creating content for this brand's social media platforms and the like. So really what you're trying to do is you're trying to taste all of the little operational and functional pieces that you need to understand at its core to be able to set up an online store and run it successfully. And so I wouldn't be looking to work with a store that does drop shipping unless they're already very successful at it because most drop shipping stores just aren't that successful. Maybe they replace a wage for somebody, but effectively they're they're not a business. They they are basically they're an employee. They're just employed by themselves. And that's, that's the only, you know, that, that's how successful they are. They're successful enough to replace one wage, but that's about it. And so they don't have any more freedom than they would do if they were working for somebody else. In fact, they probably oftentimes have less and they've got a whole lot more stress wrapped up with it. So that would be my advice is to get as close to someone as you possibly can who runs a successful online store, learn the ropes, 
suck as much information and knowledge out of you can, as you can out of that experience. And you know what I always advise young people is when you're looking for a job, you either need to learn or you need to earn. One of the two. If you can ideally do both, then fantastic. But at the very least, you need to do one or the other. And early in your career, you need to learn as much as you possibly can. And then, you know, from there, you'll be able to also build up a little bit of capital to where when you feel like you're in a place where you understand how this game works well enough, then you've got some capital behind you to get going. And then you can, you know, potentially design something that's unique and custom and have it made for you. And then you've got a defendable moat and all the other things that go along with running a successful online store. So that would be my advice to this young gentleman. Uh, I think... uh, Actually, it doesn't say it could be a could be a female as well. So, anyways, uh, to this seventeen-year-old young person, that would be my advice. Next one is how do you price your products? The title: How do you find a good price for your products, and how do you know it's a good price for your products? So, uh, this isn't really clear whether they're saying when you're sourcing products, uh, how do you know whether you are getting a good price for the products that you're buying or how do you know that the products that you're selling are you're, that you're selling at a good price now there's not enough detail here to really be super clear about which that is but I'll but I'll address both uh when you are going out and you are getting quotes for having products made or you're sourcing products from suppliers etc you you have to take into account multiple factors right you have to take into a, a account their minimum order quantities you have to take into account unit price. You have to take into account shipping costs. You have to take into account shipping times because depending on where they're located in the world, it'll take longer or short amount of time for products to get to you. Uh, or if you're drop shipping again, it, it, it does matter still that, that timing factor wherever you're buying from uh, and sending your orders to and then having them shipped to your destination address. Again, I'm, I'm not a massive fan of drop shipping, but I, I do have to address that because that's a question that gets asked often enough. And so what you want to do is you, you tend to want to get at least three quotes for the products that you're looking to have made. Now, if you're buying a commodity item that is sold by lots of different players, and then, then you, I would suggest you look for another product. Because if you're going to a place that already has a lot of competition and it's easy to source from multiple suppliers, then that means there'll be multiple people buying from those suppliers and selling into the same market that you would potentially be selling into. So that would be my recommendation is find a product that is unique, at least unique in your market or in your region or how you want to sell it, et cetera. You've got to have something that's unique and defendable about what you're selling and how you're selling it. And then secondarily, how do you know how to price your products? Say, for example, on your own existing website. Well, I mean, that's pretty simple, right? You have to see what the market dynamics are like. If you have a truly unique product that you've designed and had contract manufactured, then you potentially have massive pricing power. And if there's demand for products like that, then they can only get that product, that exact product directly through you, then you'll be able to charge a higher price usually than similar competing products in the marketplace. If your product is truly unique and it offers some benefit that none of your competitors do, then you'll have an element of pricing power that your competitors won't have. But there still will be an upper bound because it's very rare that you will design a product that has literally zero competition in the market, something that's completely unique and there's nothing else like it or no replacement for it in the market. Usually there's generics or knockoffs or low price versions, high price versions, etc. And really what you want to do is you need to see what the market will bear wherever you're selling into by looking at some of the competitors out there on marketplaces through their own websites, etc. And you can also use uh, pricing comparison engines that will scrape competitor websites and keep a track on their prices. 
And then going beyond that, you need to see what is sustainable for you as a brand. You know, what is sustainable for you to cover your overheads, cover the cost of the goods, cover the cost of your operations, cover the cost of shipping, and then, of course, pay yourself a decent wage on top of that and any potential staff that you have helping you run the business. So when we look at cost of goods sold or COGS, it's not just the physical cost of the single item that you're buying and then reselling. There's all sorts of operational costs that go along with that. So you've got technology costs, you potentially have warehousing costs freight costs, all inbound and outbound freight costs, et cetera. And then you, of course, have to cover you know a, a enough of a profit to where you can be profitable as a business on top of all those things, but also cover return logistics if, if the product is, is going to fail occasionally, which all products do. You're not going to have a 100% success rate with every product. And and even if the product isn't faulty, somebody may want to return the product because it wasn't what they thought it was and all of, all of the rest. And then you're going to have to account for the occasional fraud, which happens on every single website. They occasionally get hit with fraud. So there's a lot of things to consider when you're looking at the total cost of goods sold. But really, it comes down to how much pricing power do you have in the product that you're selling? How much competition do you have in the market? What are equivalent products selling for in the market that you're selling into? And then finally, how much profit do you need to make over and above the cost of goods sold and cost of operations to have a profitable, sustainable business that you'd be proud to own and run and potentially sell one day? So those are the types of things I'd be thinking about if I was both buying and selling products online. The next one is, uh, and this is, again, this is a similar type of question to what I've seen asked over and over and over again in places like Quora and Reddit and LinkedIn and other platforms, even even Instagram and the odd odd TikTok question as well. Uh, it's titled $1.2,000 ad spend, no conversions on my e-commerce site. And then they, they list what their e-commerce site is. Hello everyone, I use Google ads, Microsoft ads, and TikTok ads for business. I haven't received a single conversion yet, and I'm not sure why. The site was just relaunched or redone, and my company has a history in the industry. I've spent around 1.2K between the three and haven't had a single conversion yet. I'm not quite sure what I'm doing wrong. Any tips? And then they list their website. Now, again, this is... This is, this is the kind of thing where usually I'll click on the website as I'm doing right now. I'm, I'm clicking... Uh, bottom line thermals, uh, high frames, low latency, fast loading, um, th bottom line thermal PCs, keep cool, we, turn up the heat, fast free shipping, free games upgrades, watch us build your PC live. And, you know, and typically when I go to see these websites, they're missing a bunch of key factors. So they're missing trust factors like, you know, who are we, our address, our contact details, etc. Now, funnily enough, this website actually does have those things. It's got an email address. It's got a phone number. It's got actually a physical address in Illinois. And if I go to the contact us page, um, uh, oh, that that's a problem. Uh, it's a 404 page, for page not found when you click on the uh, when you click a, on the contact us page. And as I click around the, the site, there are a couple of dead links as well. Now they do offer financing, special PC, so they look like they're a PC builder for gaming, etc. So you can browse PCs. Um, you know, their, their, their lowest price product looks like it's about 1500 bucks and it goes up to like a $4,000, um, gaming PC here, you know, so these are not, you know, this is not, a, this is not the type of thing where you can just plunk down a hundred bucks, test out one of those products to see if they're a legit business and you're going to get your products and 
you you can test it out at very low risk. I mean, it it appears that their cheapest product here is about fifteen hundred bucks. Now that requires an extremely lot high level of trust. Now, some of the things that I don't see here, for example, is I don't see any product reviews. I don't see a, any testimonial information on the website. I I see some very very generic about us information, which could be almost copy and pasted from almost any website anywhere. And I, it just this whole entire website doesn't engender for me enough trust for me to go. These guys are worth buying off of. So if I'm driving traffic to a site like this. I'm going to need a hell of a lot more information and trust than just having, you know, just a list of products on the website. This to me doesn't create an environment where I'm going to go and spend $1,500 minimum with this online business. Now, if, if they had a product that I felt like I couldn't really get anywhere else and there's tons and tons and tons of competition in this PC builder space, there's, there's tons of them out there. And so, you know, if you go to a pricing comparison website, which every almost every country in the world has their favorite local shopping comparison or pricing comparison website, yes, with these custom-built PCs, it's sometimes hard to compare apples to apples, but there will be some certain baseline characteristics of things like CPU and RAM and hard drive space, et cetera, that you then can, can compare on kind of an apples to apples basis. So if I felt that these guys were providing something that was a really, really good deal, first thing I'd do is I'd send them an email. So I'd send it to sales at these guys' email address. I would check out their social, which they've got social links down there, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok. And then I would also call their phone number. Now, I haven't done that with these guys. I don't know whether the phone number automatically goes to a message service, which automatically is, is going to hurt trust. Uh, you know, I don't know how fast they're going to respond to emails. Maybe it's going to take them two or three days or four days to respond to an email. In that case, it also doesn't engender trust. And then again, I just don't think that this website engenders trust because there's not a lot of the things that I would normally expect on the About Us page, no testimonials, no product reviews, etc. And so for these guys, what I would potentially be doing if I were them to start to build up some demand outside of my own website and trying to drive all the traffic and all the demand to my website, which doesn't engender trust, I would potentially start by trying to sell on some marketplaces. I would, you know, try to be selling on the Amazons, the Ebays, you know, uh, the other major e you know, e-commerce marketplaces out there. I, I would be dipping my toes in the water there because they've already got the traffic, they've already got the demand, they've already got people searching for the products that you sell. And you know, you just pay for that effectively out of the success fee of actually selling on their platform. Sure, there's usually a listing fee and of course there's ad fees, et cetera. But the bulk of the fees come when you actually sell the product and a success fee of selling that product. And so, you know, it's it's a relatively low risk way instead of having to drive all the traffic yourself to your own website. But there are definitely and this website is one of the slightly better ones than I routinely see because oftentimes there, as I said, there's zero contact details on these websites whatsoever. Kind of everything on the on the website looks quite generic. The theme looks generic. The information, the content looks generic, etc. And these guys are slightly better in that at least they've got some basic contact details listed on their website. But it doesn't really surprise me that they're saying that they they're, they're driving a whole bunch of traffic, they're spending a whole lot of money, and they're not getting a lot of sales. This uh, and I keep telling you know people this over and over and over again. The internet is not the field of dreams anymore. E-commerce is not the field of dreams anymore. The, the the minimum baseline expectation for a web experience now is is up here. You know, it's not the field of dreams in the sense it's it's not just you build a website and they will come. That's not how this works. 
And there is absolutely so much competition in just about every single vertical market category, segment, sub-segment, you name it. There is there is some very, very, very well-entrenched competitors out there that have been doing this for a very long time. And it's very rare that you would be doing something that no one has done before. So that means to stand out, you have to do everything right and you have to do everything better than your competitors. That means you have to stand out, means you have to have competitive pricing, means you have to have a unique offer, means you have to have a community, you have to be building brand, you have to, you know, you have to be driving all the traffic as, as you're doing and spending all this money. And the reality is it is very, very, very difficult to be successful in any in an e-commerce business today with anything other than a replacement to your existing salary. So if you think you're going to get rich quick by setting up an e-commerce website, unless you've got a very unique product and you have a complete monopoly in your market for some reason, uh, this game is really, really, really difficult. So that's that's all. I'll leave it there. Uh, product deformulation advice. I have a cream that I like from a small business owner. He has discontinued the product. I have some leftover and want to make it myself. Can anyone recommend labs for product deformulation? Need to figure out what is used in the product and that also, and the process for making it. Now what I, and I see similar types of questions to this quite regularly as well. The reality is if you cannot do enough Googling to find your local tertiary institution and working perhaps with a local university laboratory or a, a local lab that actually formulates these types of products from scratch and then contract manufactures them for you, you know, which I in five minutes of Googling or chat GPTing, I'm sure that I could find this information right here. But if someone is coming to a website like a Reddit, like a Quora, et cetera, and asking this question, then I question their ability to run a business. If they cannot find this information out, which I could find out in, in less than five minutes of Googling, if you are not willing to put in the legwork to figure even something this simple out, then my question is, how are you going to figure out the other thousand and one things that are required to be able to successfully build a brand, sell products online, do so profitably, and grow your business? How are you going to be able to figure all that out? So, Again, I'll leave that there, but I see this all the time. I could have Googled. I could have put some links in there for them um, in under five minutes of Googling, but I believe in teaching a person how to fish, not giving them fish on a platter. And what I would typically have gone back to in writing, if I was writing and responding to this person, I would have, um, here, let me Google that for you. There's this, this, let me Google that for you website where you can put in the query and then it will show that query being typed into Google and then give you the Google results. So that's probably what I would have done here. But again, you know, business is hard. None of this stuff is easy. And if it's something that you don't already know, the information is out there. Google it, YouTube it, ChatGPT it, you know, do as much of the legwork yourself before you come to a forum online and start asking these kinds of exceptionally basic questions. Okay, here's another great question. And uh, again, I think this is going to be a very useful question. Setting up an e-commerce store is basically impossible unless I am missing something. I'm looking into mm -hmm. setting up a print-on-demand POD. Uh, you'll see this acronym a lot, POD, print-on-demand clothing e-commerce store. And I legit don't understand what is expected of me in regards to sales tax collection. If I open an e-commerce store, I could, in theory, sell a product to anybody anywhere in the world. Am I expected to register with every single sales tax collection authority on the planet? to run a t-shirt website how does anybody do this and he goes on to ask 
uh, a few more questions he or she i'm not sure what it is here uh but th they go on to ask a whole bunch of questions about tax and everything else and basically saying it's possible so it, he says uh, i know i'm missing something i see that there are thousands of online stores out there already i'm asking what it is i'm missing contact a tax professional see if you qualify for nexus blah 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 i don't understand any of this i've done my research but i just don't believe that every tom dick and harry that has set up a store has registered with every tax collection agency in, in the u.s and the world so first of all um, this person is right. They don't register with every tax authority. In the United States, they have certain thresholds. Each state runs things slightly differently, but then, of course, there's federal tax as well. But from a state tax perspective, they have a nexus of business rule, and platforms like Avalara and TaxJar, etc., can help you with figuring out what tax you owe to which, which state at which point you start doing enough business there to warrant it. And nine times out of 10, until you are massive, until you're starting to do above, I think it, it, on average, it's about $200,000 of sales into a given state, not from the state from which you operate. You'll always pay uh, tax in the state in which you operate. Uh, but unless you're doing about 200000 or more into sales into a given state, uh, normally they don't consider that having a next business in that state to where you would then owe state sales tax in that state. And so, uh, again, I, I, this information is out there. You know, the reality is, is that, you know, from the Shopify website or the big commerce website or many other websites, they've got apps to handle tax for you that basically sets up all the information you need to be able to submit the right relevant tax remittances to the right authorities in any country, state, city that you operate in. And that's why these tax services, these tax platforms, these tax assessment platforms exist to make this easier for you to do this. So this person is exactly right. It seems impossible at first blush, but if you investigate it even just a little bit under the surface, surface these, tax, these tax remittance platforms make this so easy to manage that that's why all of these thousands, tens of thousands, millions of online stores don't have any issues paying their tax because they're using a system whereby either they're doing such small sales that it doesn't even matter and they're just dealing with their local taxes, or they are using these platforms that ease this whole tax management process and remittance process on your behalf or make it very easy for you to deal with taxation um, properly and correctly and paying in a, the right amount of assessed tax. So, but my, my first response to this, and I actually did respond to this person in writing, is their business model. Print on demand has been done to death, just like drop shipping has been done to death. Uh, print on demand is kind of a hybrid model. It's, it's like drop shipping, but in addition to the drop shipping piece and the delay of the product getting to your customer from whoever the manufacturer is, these products are made on demand. That's the whole point of print on demand. So you have the delay of actually making the product and then you have the delay of getting the product to your customer. Now, again, there is thousands of print-on-demand suppliers. There are many platforms with, with out-of-the-box integrations with these print-on-demand suppliers. And so just like dropshipping, print-on-demand has a virtually zero moat. It is very, very, very difficult to have print-on-demand done by a third-party print-on-demand supplier a, it's very difficult to make money because the print-on-demand services are very expensive versus having your own production equipment to print on demand. That's the first thing. Sure, capital upfront for print-on-demand equipment of your own and owning that equipment in-house and having the factory to do it. Yes, capital intensive upfront, but the per unit cost is significantly lower than if you have a third party do print-on-demand for you. So 
I would say that this person's problem isn't so much dealing with tax because it sounds like they have, they're not even up and running yet. So they need to not worry about tax. They need to worry about their business model because this business model doesn't work for very many people. And it's very difficult to create unique, a unique enough brand with unique enough, brand, uh, unique enough styles and designs and then create enough demand for those products and drive enough traffic to your website and get a good enough conversion rate to then turn around and give away 60, 70, 80% of the sale value to the print-on-demand supplier. This, this model is just extremely challenged from a business model perspective out of the gate. There's very, very few print-on-demand retailers that do very well at all. It's, it's extremely rare. And I've been doing this a long time. So I would say address your business problem first before you start worrying about tax because tax is definitely not uh, going to be a problem for you for quite some time. Have you used AI for customer service? The next question. I'm 110% with answering repetitive emails. I don't mind outsourcing to a freelancer, but I think AI could crush customer service if it had full order details, etc. Um, AI in customer service is becoming definitely much more common and all the way from autom- semi-automated canned emails that come uh, that are effectively drafted by AI, finally read, uh, edited, and approved by a customer service person then finally sent to the customer, initial AI chatbot responses through platforms like Gorgeous. Um, so platforms like Gorgeous, like Zendesk, uh, you know, when, when we think of pretty much any customer help desk platform out there that can manage inbound emails, can an, an manage inbound live chats, uh, obviously can't take phone calls, but it can track inbound phone calls and response times and conversion rates from those channels, etc. Yes, absolutely. The answer is yes. AI for customer service is a thing. It's a growing thing. The major platforms are increasingly integrating AI into their platforms, at least for the initial response to the customer, whether that be through help desk inbound emails and then response emails, whether that be live chats, and whether that be routing of calls when calls come in. So uh, the, the the short answer is yes. The the long the slightly longer answer is pick a platform that already has most of the functionality you are looking for built in. I happen to love the Gorgeous platform. I think it's amazing, uh, you know, from its help desk capability to its knowledge base capability to its live chat capabilities um, to the way that it natively integrates with platforms like Shopify, BigCommerce, etc. Pulls in details about the customer, pulls in details about the order, pulls in details for live chats, for example, of the page that they're on, any products they have in the cart at the time, etc., etc., etc. So. Uh, you know, the reality is, is that these platforms are trying to automate as much of the customer service pr- process for your business as possible to make your business as scalable as possible. So just go out there, look at the features of these platforms and pick the one that you feel matches your needs and your budget the best. What are the right fulfillment KPIs? I would like to understand beyond cost, which are the right fulfillment KPIs to focus on either for own operations or more likely as part of a SLA or service level agreement with a fulfillment center or 3PL? And what would the target value of that KPI be? Product type is small consumer products. Average item per order is two. The ones I had in mind were inbound to system, inventory accuracy, and pick to ship time. Any guidance? Really appreciated. Thank you. So there's kind of two parts to this question, right? There is carrier performance, whether that's first mile, middle mile, last mile. In many cases, they might be the same carrier all the way through from first mile to to last mile and 
getting the goods in the, in the customer's hands. And then there's performance of any fulfillment partner that, that basically does the pick, pack, and dispatch process on your behalf before it gets into the carrier's hands. Because nine times out of 10, the carrier is not going to be doing the pick, pack, dispatch process. Some 3PLs maybe have some local services in terms of you know maybe some trucks, et cetera, that can do local deliveries near where they're based. Uh, but they usually aren't going to be going interstate, et cetera. And so you're going to be using a nationwide carrier in whatever country you are operating in or an international carrier like a DHL, et cetera, if you are shipping internationally. So I would say you need to be looking at quite separate KPIs for the pick pack dispatch process versus the the fulfillment process, the actual delivery process. And from a delivery performance perspective, basically what you need to be looking at is what the carrier guarantees or says their target times are for delivery between certain originations and certain destinations and see what their on-time performance is, meaning see how often they hit that. Now, there are tools because oftentimes these carriers, they will not be telling you, you know, which service was used versus what the performance was of each parcel delivered using that specific level of service. And so therefore, you need to have, there are, there are certain apps that can plug into both your software, meaning your e-commerce software, your ERP, your WMS, or your OMS, or whatever it is you're using to do the pick-pack dispatch process and understand what those orders look like. And they plug into carrier systems so that they track the parcel all the way from the time that it leaves your location, whether it's the 3PL warehouse or your own warehouse, whatever, all the way until it's in the customer's hands. And it tracks that on a per carrier basis and on a per shipment basis. And so therefore, they can tell you these third-party systems that plug into your e-commerce platform, your ERP, they can tell you which carriers are meeting their performance KPIs that they've told you they should hit. And that way, you can start negotiating with those carriers. You can say, well, you know, I want a discount or I want a rebate because this month you only hit 50% of your delivery timeline targets. Or when it comes up time for your annual renewal and your cost review and uh, all of the shipping costs that they charge you, then you can negotiate harder if you know that they've only hit 50% or 60% or 70% of the targets they told you that they will hit then you've got a lot more bargaining leverage when it comes time to the end of the year to renegotiate your rates on an annual or semi-annual basis. Then it also allows you to drop carriers that are underperforming consistently despite your best efforts to get them to perform up to standard. And you can replace them with new carriers that you can test and try out to see whether they will actually hit the KPIs that you have set and that they have agreed to. Now, when it comes to pick, pack, dispatch, that's where these type of KPIs that uh, you have discussed here, inbound to system, inventory accuracy, pick to ship time, uh, that's where those type of KPIs start to become more relevant, right? Because what should be happening is that uh, for, for a 3PL, remember, they're not just doing managing outbound shipping for you. They're man managing inbound receding. So so there's there's a couple of KPIs around the the put away process that start to become really important. So, you know, if if on day one they receive a shipment of product, let's say, I don't know, it's a container of product that arrives at the 3PL warehouse, if it takes them four days to put that product away or through the put away process or the receipting process, and then make that inventory available back on your website via updates to your website, well, that's, you know, four days, five days, whatever it is, before you can start selling that inventory. Now that that You've, you've paid for that inventory most likely, or you're going to be very soon, plus you're paying for it to be warehoused, 
with the 3PL. And so therefore, the time from receding to put away to inventory availability starts to become a really, really critical factor because you want that product to be receded, put away, and inventory updated as soon as possible so you can start selling that product and frustrate less customers, frankly, and have less times of a stock out, less, less instances of stock out. Now, also from the time to receding of an order to the time they receive an order themselves to fulfill, that's an integration thing. So basically they'll usually be integrated. Let's say you're running Shopify and you're working with a 3PL that has an out-of-the-box integration between their warehouse management system or their order management system and your Shopify store. That'll be happening usually on what's called a cron, a cron job, which means that every hour or every half an hour, or every five minutes, they'll be fetching the newest orders from your store, bringing them down to their system for fulfillment. Now, typically for most brands, you're going to want all orders that come in up to a certain time to be dispatched the same day. Now, when I had my own e-commerce business, because we had our own owned warehouse, we were shipping out orders up until like 7 p.m. Now, 3PL isn't going to do that. They're going to they're dispatch orders. They might dispatch orders up till 5 p.m. or 4 p.m. or 3 p.m., whatever is agreed. And usually you can pay more to have later dispatches in the day, but usually we'll pay more for that. And they usually have like a standard service. Okay, all orders received by 3 p.m. our time, we will ship out same day. Then you can extend that same guarantee or promise onto your customers on your website. Or maybe it's domestic orders, meaning let's say it's a United States-based 3PL. They'll say, we will ship all domestic orders by 3 p.m. Uh, that are received by 3 p.m. same day. For all international orders, we will ship them by the next day. So in other words, I receive an international order by 3 p.m. today. They will ship it out by 3 p.m. the next day, oftentimes is, is how that will work. So there can be up to a 24-hour delay on international shipments going out because they're usually a little bit more involved in doing that. Um, and they'll usually process all the domestic orders first because people are more time sensitive, customers are more time sensitive to receiving domestic orders quickly than international customers who typically expect this international shipments to take a lot longer than domestic shipments. So there's uh, basically, in a nutshell, we want to look at two sets of KPIs. We want to set, uh, look at a set of KPIs around carrier performance. And we want to look at a set of KPIs around pick pack dispatch performance. So I would look at those two things very separately. And then the final bucket is the receipting, put away, and availability bucket. So those are the three different buckets I'd be looking at. I'd be looking at pick pack dispatch, receipting and put away, and carrier performance. Those are the three buckets. And then from there, you can probably figure out all the relevant KPIs uh, to your business and, and commercial negotiation factors that will come into play there. Uh, fulfillment from China. And again, this is, this is the kind of question I see almost every single day on these platforms. I would like to start selling in my website a product I found on Alibaba. How do you fulfill from China and experience finding the right fulfillment services? I would be selling an electronic device of 450 grams in a box 20 centimeters long, 10 centimeters wide, 8 centimeters deep. How to find best air freight quotes for China, USA, or China to EU appreciated. Um, again, this very much goes back to that. This sounds like this person is going to be doing drop shipping, but I think they're a little bit confused about the way drop shipping works. So these manufacturers or wherever they source this product from on Alibaba, Nine times out of 10, that manufacturer slash supplier will be doing the shipping on your behalf. So you get the order into their hands, they make the good, or if they have some element of stock and inventory on site, 
then they will ship immediately from that inventory and they will ship direct to your customer. It's not like you need to set up a separate shipping service that either your drop shipping supplier sends products to and then ships them out of the country or your shipping service goes and picks up each one of those individual orders from those suppliers and send them to your customer. No, that's that's not the way this works. It would never be economical enough to do it that way. And so they will have a preferred shipping service. It's just like when I go to AliExpress, which is, you know, the the consumer facing version of Ali, you know, Alibaba. AliExpress is the consumer facing uh, end consumer facing version of of those websites and those suppliers. The reality is that supplier, that manufacturer, that distributor, that wholesaler is going to be shipping direct to my door. And in the case of Alibaba, that supplier is going to be shipping directly to your customer's door. And so this is a this question has been formulated in quite an interesting and funny way. Now it would be a completely different story if you were buying in bulk from one of these suppliers, you were warehousing locally in wherever you're selling from, and or you were using a 3PL, a third-party logistics company to have like maybe a container of these products shipped to 3PL service, in which case they would receipt the product, and then they would ship the product to your customer one at a time as the orders come in for that product. So the way this question is formulated leads me to believe that this person doesn't really understand the drop shipping model and the way that it fully works. But again, there is massive challenges to the drop shipping model in the first place that I would want to address before I would get into anything to do with um, you know, contract suppliers and fulfillment and how long it's going to take to get from that manufacturer directly into your customer's hands. There's the, the, the drop shipping model is a challenged model in the first place. Okay, so this next question is very interesting. Um, at what threshold are you given a dedicated IP for Clavio? I couldn't find anywhere on their website how much a dedicated IP is or at what amount of email sends you receive one. Now, it's been a while since I've set up an account with Clavio and, and got a dedicated IP up and running. But the last time I did this, which was admittedly a few years ago now, there is no threshold. It's, it's basically you pay for that service and you can get it straight away. You can dedicate, you can get a dedicated, what's known as a dedicated sending IP for Clavio, so that you're not using the bulk send IP addresses that are given out uh, generically to uh, all of the brands that are using Clavio to send email. Now the downside of using a shared IP address, of course, is if one of those people start to send spam emails out on that IP address and that IP address gets blocked then you trying to send from that same IP address could have your emails blocked. So that's the benefit of adding, of having a dedicated sending IP address is the fact that you and you alone are sending out emails and that on that IP address. And therefore, you know, unless you're the one sending spam, your IP address is not going to get blocked for sending spam. Now, there are downsides to having a dedicated sending IP too. There's IP warming. You can look this up, but basically you can't set up a brand new IP address for sending email on your domain and then start sending out tens of thousands of emails a week. That will that will black flag that new IP address and all of a sudden your IP address will be blocked. So you have what's called IP warming, which means that you'll start out by sending you know 20 or 30 emails, maybe maybe five emails an hour. Then you'll eventually get to a place where you're sending 10 emails an hour and 20 emails an hour and 30 emails an hour and so on and so forth. And over a period of about 30 days, you'll get to a point where you're then able to send full sends 
to your email list from that IP address. So that's the thing that is the downside of a dedicated sending IP is is the time it takes to warm up that IP to where you, you're at full sending strength and full sending capability. It's not so much what the threshold is where you're given a dedicated IP. Um, as far as I'm aware, and again, I'd have to look this up to, to be sure what the status is of this today, but basically you pay an extra fee and you can get a dedicated IP or you can have an IP provisioned by a third-party provider and give that to, to Clavio, and that can be, that can be used um, for all the actual outbound sends. And then Clavio is just used for the formulation, the creation of the emails, the triggering of the emails, et cetera. And they're actually not the sending platform. They are the triggering platform that sends the information effectively to the sending platform where the dedicated sending IP resides uh, that's attached to your sending domain. So uh, that would be my, my first thoughts on that is just to be aware of the IP warming requirement on any new dedicated sending IP from a dedicated sending domain. Uh, okay, this will be the final question um, I'll respond to in this particular session, and that is affiliate marketing versus dropshipping versus question mark for an influencer. For an influencer with a considerable following, if they wanted to do some unboxing or product placements, etc., would you recommend affiliate marketing or dropshipping if one wanted to try the world of e-commerce? I appreciate any kind of feedback and insight, truly. My recommendation is affiliate 100%, because the reality is, is that unless you've got custom merch that you are effectively having contract manufactured or unless you've got like a collab where you're collaborating with someone or you're collaborating with a brand or something like that and you have merch that's kind of your unique merch that then maybe they're selling through the website plus you're selling through a dedicated merch website of your own the reality is most of these influencers have no idea what it takes to run an e-commerce store. They have no idea what it takes to you know, set up customer service. They have no idea how to do any of these things. And so the reality is, is that even if they're drop shipping, the reality is, is that their customer that buys off of their branded website, their influencer website with their name on it and their picture all over it, they're going to expect customer service to come from that site. And if the dropshipping service is shit, then the customer is going to be upset. Who are they going to be upset at? They're not going to be upset at the dropshipper. They're going to be upset at the influencer. So for brand protection, my recommendation is give your, you give your audience an affiliate code that says go and put in you know, code Bob1, or in my case, Jason1 or whatever it is, and you know qualify for 20% off this amazing shirt or whatever it is. So I think the affiliate model works a hell of a lot better for most influencers than just about any other model, because most of these people would have zero clue on how to run a business. They have zero clue on the complexity of setting up a, an e-commerce website, and setting up logistics, and all the other things that go along with this type of thing. The only other way potentially to do it is to, to take the, the order you know, actually secure the order, secure the payment, and then effectively send it on to the supplier in like a drop shipping model. But it's it's not just your typical drop shipping model. Usually, in in this way, in that you're you're tightly affiliated with the brand that you're representing. And so, especially if it's a long term deal, that may be an option. But the the reality is is that for the vast majority, uh, I would I would say you know some ninety nine percent of the time it's so much easier and so much less hassle and so much less risk. If an influencer is partnering with a brand to simply use an affiliate model to work with that brand, 
Hopefully you found the answers to these questions useful, and hopefully these have answered some in bulk that people may have been asking on multiple platforms and not got any responses thus far. Again, I try to respond to as many as I can on the likes of Quora and Reddit and LinkedIn and occasionally even Twitter, but Twitter is a bit of a dumpster fire at times, and so it's hard to find you know, the, the golden nuggets in amongst the detritus or detritus. So anyways, um, continue asking your questions. You can fire them through to in DM to me on LinkedIn if you like. You can also DM me on Reddit if you like. Uh, I am not anonymous on Reddit, like 99% of the people on Reddit are. So be able to, you'll be able to DM me on Reddit or LinkedIn. You're also able to email me, jason at greenwoodconsulting.net. If you've got some questions you'd like me to do on the next Mentoring Moments session, then feel free to fire those through and I'll do my best to cover those for you. Cheers, guys. Talk to you soon. If you'd like to get mentored by Jason for free, head over to greenwoodconsulting.net, scroll to the bottom of the page, and click Get Mentored by Jason.